passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. It is John Pollock and Wei Ting here with you on Wednesday night, October the 18th. Hello, Wei. That is correct. Hello. How are you? How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing uh I'm doing great. How was Niagara Falls? Uh Niagara Falls was um it was very cold, uh, but we were indoors for most of it. Uh so that was okay. Um like in the in the uh traditional sense, I would call this a vacation. In the reality of uh taking two kids away for, for 48 hours. Um I was pretty tired by the end of it. It was a uh, it, it, it was a lot, but nonetheless, we had a you, we had you a may never time. go on vacation truly for you know what 18, 20 years. Um, no, I I've, we'll probably do a a more substantial vacation at some point, but it's a uh, it's daunting. It it is definitely well, you're going to have kids around. I'm assuming no matter what, so I don't know how much of a vacation any of it will be for you. Well, we'll we, we shall see. But I had a, I had a good time overall. Not. Uh, a reasonable distance that we went, and then uh, I got back on on Tuesday, so I'm here. Well, hopefully you got a little bit of a, I guess, a relaxation in there. Yes, um, I did <laughs> lots. Um, how's your uh, week been? Good, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, had a I thought a really good show with Andrew Thompson over uh, on Monday, so I recommend everybody check that out. Um, but otherwise, largely just kind of stayed at home, you know, did a lot of uh, family stuff, housework, that sort of thing. 
Well, this is your second show this week. Night one was on Monday. Night two is tonight. What would be the real <laughs> main event? Night one or night two? Highly debatable, highly contested, uh, as as we got to hear on the NWA podcast. Uh, uh, one of the all-time great editions of the NWA podcast, I would say. Yeah, I, I, w- I want to thank whoever that emailer was that I think uh, that, that sent in some... Uh, some complaint that they didn't sound like their regular selves the last month. And uh, certainly it was not a criticism I would have had of the show, but boy, did that uh, just be the fuel behind these four. And um, so what you're saying is send even more criticisms so that they can, you know, just have a, a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. Next I'm time. not, I'm not stating that, but it was, uh, it, it was something else. I, this was a very, very entertaining show. And one of the all time great debates of all time over, the true WrestleMania main event and, uh, and poor Ray just right in the middle uh, of it all, but yeah. really laying down, um, you know, he, he got into it too. I mean, it, it, it certainly, um, I believe Andrew truly believes his point that, you know, a night one WrestleMania main event can sometimes, depending on if it's a better, more talked about match, be the true main event of a WrestleMania. But I think there was a huge element of just like knowing what was grinding Chris's gears throughout that entire conversation. Because Chris just that that was the that was the most energy I've ever heard from from that man. Well, I I think at at some point they they were kind of arguing different different points. It was like kind of what was the most pleasing <laughs> match versus what was like the the promoted main event. But then they ran into the Austin Owens debate, which kind of is sort of kind of felt like the most promoted thing and was on the first night. But it was uh, not an argument I can do justice. So I, I encourage everyone to um, set aside three hours and 36 minutes of your week and, and give this one a listen. I'm staying out of it. No way. <laughs> they'll, they'll bring you in there. They might Goodness. put it to a oh, vote. No. I don't want to um, do that. When Andrew started doing the count, one two like the knockout i dude I, I was dying i just thought it was the greatest anyway some, some great shows over the past weekend we had of course collision course with kate and sino we had a new japan pro wrestling royal quest 3 review with karen and bruce uh among many other things always a busy 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 uh week here over at post wrestling well and we have lots coming up uh later on this week and this weekend uh we'll go over that before we get into the dynamite review but we're going to start off with some of the news items from the uh, the past 24 hours. We're going to start with Conor McGregor because TMZ, they were able to obtain a uh, a closeout memo and they have uh, been able to ascertain that the charges that Conor McGregor was facing, this was for a rape allegation back in June at a Miami Heat game that at the time McGregor had denied and that his attorney had called nothing more than a shakedown. Well, no criminal charges are going to be pressed against Conor McGregor. And uh, TMZ said that the prosecutors deemed there was, quote, insufficient evidence as well as contradicting and or no corroborating witnesses to prove beyond a reasonable, a reasonable doubt that McGregor committed the act that he was accused of. Now, if you remember at this time in June, there was footage that circulated of Conor McGregor and this woman going into a bathroom and then later being seen together at, at a nightclub. And an attendant that was stationed inside the restroom was interviewed by the prosecutors and had stated to the prosecutors that he did not hear any signs of distress or sounds that would corroborate that whatever was occurring was non-consensual. And in the memo obtained by TMZ, it stated that when the woman made her claim against McGregor, she asked the detectives involved if McGregor would like to settle or pay her off if she opted not to press charges. And there was a statement from McGregor's attorney that, they are pleased that this is now over. And 
That would be the end of the story involving uh, Conor McGregor, who has had um, certainly this is this has not been a, a, an isolated story in his history. There have been many allegations involving Conor McGregor, uh, but this one, I mean, if you take this all at face value, would appear to have no merit. At least that is what they the, the prosecutors have deemed and are not going to move further with this with Conor McGregor. Other news to uh, get to uh, li- this week was, well, we are going to stay in mixed martial arts because Showtime, which has been the home of Showtime Championship Boxing for 37 years and been, I mean, it was very early on the bandwagon of mixed martial arts. Uh, long before Bellator, they were the home of Elite XC, the very first Elite XC card in February of 2007 when Frank Shamrock fought Henzo Gracie and Gina Carano uh, fought Julie Kedzie in a extremely famous uh, women's fight back when they were so concerned about women fighting, they could only do three, three minute rounds. We can't be putting them in five minute rounds. What, what would happen to a woman fighting <laughs> the same amount of time as a man? And amazingly, this took years before they felt, you know what women can fight three, five minute rounds or God forbid, five, five minute rounds. <laughs> It really is incredible, like just just the the, the mere mention of, of of maybe even that sort of restriction and how um maybe controversial of of a thing it was back then, you know. Uh, but but I mean that was a promotion that I, I think you could, I mean, Gina Carano especially, can you consider a total trailblazer in? They, even they had to fight to get the women on the main card. I mean, that mm-hmm. was going to be an undercard fight, and whatever you want to say about Gary Shaw, like he was very like he was a promoter. He was a promoter in every sense of the word, but he. He understood what was going to differentiate their company and his greatest, in terms of MMA promotion, his greatest achievements were Gina Carano and launching the women in Elite XC. Women's MMA did predate Elite XC and Kimbo Slice. Like he saw here is a lane the UFC is not going to be occupying and Kimbo Slice was a phenomenon. Um, mm-hmm. Very much in the vein of some of the influencer boxing we see now. Like Kimbo Slice filled that, he attracted that audience that was not, uh, out training jujitsu or were fanatics of the sport. It was crossing over to a totally different demographic. But uh, over the years, I mean, uh, Viacom, they remain very committed. They put MMA onto network television in May of 2008. And then there was uh, the whole fallout. Elite XC disappears. Then they get into business with Strikeforce. Strikeforce is purchased by the UFC. It operates for two years while having that awkward relationship with the UFC having to work with uh, have to work with Showtime. And there has been no love lost between Steven Espinosa and Dana White over the years. And then they sort of went dark on mixed martial arts for a number of years until uh, Bellator, which had jumped from what was Spike TV to the Paramount Network and finally landed on Showtime a couple of years ago and has been their broadcast home uh, for the past uh, almost three years at this point. And that will all come to an end. At the end of this year, they sent out a memo to their staff members, and this will affect boxing and mixed martial arts on the network. There's one more Bellator card in a couple of weeks' time at the Trust Arena in Chicago. Uh, there's a David Benavidez boxing fight at the end of the month, and that's pretty much going to be it as Showtime is making more of a focus on scripted programming and it is all about driving subscribers to Paramount Plus. So there will be a lot of people losing their jobs in all of this. Viacom will still have the CBS Sports Avenue. So it's like they still will have a a sports component, but this is an end of an era. And just a few years after HBO got out of boxing and I, you know, as someone growing up, the idea of Showtime and HBO not being involved in boxing, it's it's stunning in, in some ways, but this was something that we had 
kind of seen coming for, well, on the MMA side for a long time of what would be a Bellator. Did you really? Okay, so do you think this was because of the Bellator um, potential sale that 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 spurred this on? Because my my question is, I mean, there's so much talk about um, live sports rights really still being, you know, pretty coveted. Why would Showtime decide to and and HBO for that matter decide to get out of the game? I think they're just looking at it as the, the amount that it takes to continue to operate all of this, and for whatever reason, I mean, they must just feel like this is this is not going to be enough of a value add for us and we're just completely getting out of combat sports i mean when when you do look at it from from that sense you know uh, an industry that when you have a big fight and showtime has had no shortage of massive fights over the years from uh the the tyson days you know it was showtime that put on that floyd mayweather jr conor mcgregor fight which would have been the second biggest boxing fight of all time um so yeah, it's like with Bellator, it's it was very clear and it has been clear for most of this year. Viacom wants out of the Bellator business and it's only a question now, like will the sale go through? Is PFL going to be the buyer? Is Bellator going to exist? Um, like I think that's where people are leaning towards this. But then what what becomes a Bellator if a PFL buys it? Do they you, you don't have television to operate this on separately? Do you just absorb the fighters? And, you know, with Showtime Championship Boxing, I mean, that. That, that was a great broadcast. I mean, uh, Mauro Ronaldo has been like the voice of Showtime Championship Boxing for uh, years and years and, and doing MMA as well. So it, it's a great team over there, but it's just it's it's at the end of a major era in combat sports. We're going to uh, continue. And next up, we wanted to talk a bit about uh, a report from front of the show, Nick Houseman at House of Wrestling, who is reporting that. So last week, Billy Corgan went on Busted Open Radio and stated that they have not one, but two television deals with a top 20 network. And uh, Nick Houseman is reporting that those deals are with the CW, which is technically a, a network, but sort of there's like the big four networks. And then CW is, um, you know, the home of uh, formerly the home of uh, of uh, Riverdale. Well, Smackdown as well, but okay. Smackdown yeah, was on Riverdale. Once. Riverdale was one of their big shows. That was uh, they've had many big shows. I I have to imagine it was Riverdale the, the biggest CW. One you could I mean, think of um, Flash. Yeah, that, I guess, I guess uh, so. maybe not that big. Evidently, well, and nonetheless, uh, Nick is reporting that this will be for NWA Power, and then a behind the scenes kind of a reality series about running the NWA, which I, I can only imagine what uh, what that will entail, but. I mean, would certainly seem like Billy Corgan probably being the person front and center in a behind the scenes sort of reality series. But I would say for the NWA, I mean, whenever it comes to a television deal, the key is what are the financials of the deal? I mean, our um, CW, I mean, they they made a pretty bold move a number of months ago where like no one was touching Live Golf and CW, they took a flyer on on Live Golf. It wasn't a very big deal for Live Golf, but they were expanding more into sports. And this is at least an example of a, I would say like a, a decent sized outlet that is mm -hmm. looking at professional wrestling that is not named WWE and is not named AEW. So, I mean, for this is kind of the, the big moment for the NWA, like how, how big of a deal is this for them monetarily? And, and what can they, they do with this? Cause sometimes we've seen outlets that, like Women of Wrestling, which, by the way, I watched my first episode of Women of Wrestling last week. I felt the need that 
I need to watch this. You were show. on vacation and you're like, I gotta watch this like this just, one thing. And yeah. listen, women of wrestling, like you can follow Brandon Thurston's like numbers. Like this thing does more viewership than many of the wrestling shows that we give ample time to, like, and dwarfs some of them. And I don't know what the end goal is for women of wrestling beyond just it's a syndicated package, a very strong syndicated package that has viewership every week. And that's, you know, it's filling programming, but it's sort of like they don't run live events. They don't run pay-per-views. They don't, um, but they have a following. It's like at, you know, three to 400,000 viewers. It's, it's notable. The NWA has more of like a traditional wrestling business plan attached to them but this has been years for the nwa to try and get something going they have been popping up from youtube to they tried out fight tv they've tried the streaming deal and now this is a big spotlight for them i'm happy that there's another place for professional wrestlers to go to that seems to be you know on on the upswing and and um you know can provide a prominent stage for a lot of talent out there uh to get on television I I am maybe a little surprised that that it happens to be the, the NWA. Um, not so much when you think about like you know how these deals might tend to take place. The fact that Billy Corgan is a very recognized person, and I'm sure you know has many connections that uh, your typical you know wrestling promoter may not. But um, as far as like you know the hardcore wrestling fan goes, this is not a promotion that has really received great headlines over the past you know, couple several years. You know, between um, uh, the now retired Tyrus. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, Billy Corgan's choice of like, you know, talent to bring on his choice of uh, putting the, the title on, on Tyrus. And that's not even speaking of, you know, some of the um, uh, misfortunes that that, um, you know, t- um, uh, came over the company throughout the pandemic and then through speaking out and everything as well. So um, I I mean, this will definitely give it a huge boost in terms of relevancy uh, for for a wrestling promotion that's out there that has a lot of potential eyeballs that could watch it. So, um, you know, I, I wait to see what the product looks like. I, especially, I'm especially curious about the reality show. Yeah, sometimes you wonder if if that is like how, how much how much buzz have you seen among the ovw series on netflix i hear like, people talk about it i've I've not at all been motivated to check it out but i have like seen discussion you know netflix is a pretty prom- prominent platform. it's a huge Everybody. platform it's not like this thing was just buried under there this was prominently featured and it like for many people that's their entry point into ovw and if they've heard of ovw it's multiple gener or at least a generation ago when it was developmental but at this point a documentary about the behind the scenes you know uh, aspect of booking an independent wrestling promotion is really not all that novel in 2023 we've kind of seen it to death over the past 20 years i would say so for that reason it doesn't really like we have you know AEW versions of the same same thing we have like pretty much like we've we've seen enough like you know uh, beyond the mats and things like that to to kind of have a good grasp of it so i'm not really craving it what this nwa reality show might have going for it is the fact that i mean it's it, you know it, billy corgan is a name it'd be kind of curious to, you know i'd be kind of curious to see like what what he's like operating a professional wrestling uh promotion um but beyond that I, to be honest i'm 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 curious but i'm not that curious either you know yeah it's one that i mean you you want to see as many of these companies be able to find their audience and the more places for people to go the better but how often do you and I talk about the 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 hours to consume professional wrestling and here is another say 2 hours between these two shows that you're throwing at fans like what is 
like we we grew up at a time when man a new wrestling show is starting on a network it was like man you would just gobble up everything you could see that's the furthest thing from the current wrestling fan that is inundated with so much great wrestling and that's something the nwa i mean listen there's some great talent in the nwa but is is there that one calling card that is going to grab a a fan that is this is this the most cutting edge product? I mean, th- their whole thing was like being a throwback product and they're sort of like in the middle. Like, again, there's some very good performers there, but there's also a lot of stuff in there that is, you know, w- not what the modern wrestling fan is is looking for in great numbers. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to know uh, what ex- what exact type of fan, you know, he has in mind that he's been booking his product for. You know, who is he trying to attract? And um, will the CW lend him that audience that he seeks? Well, this should promise for many more Billy Corgan interviews, and that is music to Andrew Thompson's ears. Okay, yeah. if he has a Mount Rushmore, yeah. I would I would guess it would be yeah. Bret Hart, maybe Billy Corgan slash Tyrus. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, forget forget melancholy and the infinite sadness. He's putting on a Billy Corgan interview talking about the NWA as his uh, audio fix. Well, Chris Jericho sounded a little melancholy in this interview with the Messenger. And this was in response to Tony Khan's tweeting last week. And Chris Jericho gave a more than honest answer that I think you could expect from someone in his position. And uh, Andrew Thompson, of course, uh, digging up this interview. So he, he was asked about his thoughts about Tony Khan's post last week. And Chris Jericho said, quote, I learned years ago that bosses are going to be bosses and billionaires are going to be billionaires. I've been working for billionaires for 25 years. At this point, you can't control Tony Khan. He's going to do what he wants to do, and God bless him. He created this company. He runs this company. He also grew up in the social media era. I'm not going to tell him, take your phone away, because he's my boss. Say what you want, whatever. I think it'd be worse if I said that stuff because I'm not the boss, you know? Tony Khan owns AEW. He can do what he wants. I'm not going to tell him no. This was, (laughs) I'm not going to tell him not to do any of this. Way. I'm not going to tell you to not try drugs. I'm not going to tell you that. I'm not going to bring up the statistics about how that could lead to bad things. I'm not going to tell you that. I can't tell you that because you're my friend. Right. Right. Um, (laughs) It's I'm sure it's an uncomfortable position for any employee to be asked about something like this. You know, like imagine, I don't know, you have a a boss and you're you're being uh, put on the public record about some weird behavior or, or not, you know, bad behavior. You, you could even deem this, you know, that, that he's been doing. So seems like a bit of a political statement to me from Jericho. Um, but he told you clearly I, probably I, I what think, he felt. I think it's like, it's under the guise of like that, but I think anyone can read between the lines here that yeah. I'm, and I'm sure Chris Jericho is not speaking on an Island uh, in terms of what people felt about last week. And that is something when you're hearing from the talent itself that are, you get the sense here, putting their like head in their hand when they see these tweets themselves. And that can be a dangerous proposition when you're, when your talent is embarrassed. And that's yeah. the sense I got from reading these quotes. So, yeah. And I guess the part about he, he grew up in the social media era. I mean, I don't think that's really any sort of excuse. I mean, a lot of us have grown up in the social media era and, and we're not, we're not tweeting or, you know, while we're emotional all the time, at least not, not usually. So, um, I, especially a guy in his position, I think he he like th- th- there are expectations that are different for him than your typical millennial that's using the internet. Yeah, it's it is very interesting when when you look at where 
where Vince McMahon would have fit into into this kind of culture where here was a guy that was slapping notes out of interviewers' hands and just losing his mind in some of those interview settings. And it almost feels as though that was, it's almost like Vince McMahon, it's like it was a quirk of Vince McMahon that he would lose his mind here, whereas any normal human being would not be given that leeway. Mm. It, it's, um, yes, I know what you're saying. Like, you're almost saying it's almost endearing, like when, when Vince did it, right? Um, or at least it became like, you know, part I, I think of if character. you were to ask people today, I think they laugh about that. I don't think they're in shock or like that is the least of the Vince McMahon right. um, issues yeah. that people w- would have with him. I mean, he was a character on TV, you know, but he did that stuff even before he was a character on TV. You're right. Um, and I also think maybe um, some of that stuff was actually entertaining um, and, and maybe done just a little bit with a little bit more tact than um <laughs> what I felt a lot of the, the, the content of the tweets were last week. But anyway, we, we've talked enough about these Tony Khan tweets at this point. Moving on, Raw ratings from Monday night. The season premiere of the show, 1,483,000 viewers, down 5% from the week prior, uh, but up in the 18 to 49 demo with a 0.44. They were up 4% and 18 to 34 up 6%. What was interesting is that men in the 18 to 34 demo up 26% while women were down the exact same percentage. So 18 to 34 is not in agreement over putting the titles back on the judgment day. Mm. Okay. And ending it with a very memorable line as the season premiere of Raw ended with the words, double, 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 double. <laughs> Which you brilliantly used in today's Pollux audio update available for all patrons in the Post Wrestling Cafe. I feel Finn Balor was subliminally promoting us so thank you to finn nxt on tuesday nine seven hundred and ninety eight thousand viewers and a 0.23 in the demo now they were down 13 percent in viewers down 24 percent. this is from last week's super tuesday episode this was still their fifth most watched show of the year so this was still a very good number and despite all the main roster people that did show up on the show, you had Rhea Ripley, Dominic, Natalia, Shotzi, Chelsea Green, Piper Niven. They did not promote one of them. There were no announcements. Uh, Becky Lynch doing a video. So, I mean, they were down, but I would not say like this plummeted uh, from last week. This was still a very good number, but um, mainly it was, you know, their younger audience too. Like men 18 to 34 was almost cut in half from last week. So that was a big difference maker. Women 18 to 34 higher this week than they were last week, not by a crazy amount, but still higher than last week, which is interesting. It seems like in WWE, that demo, they have very different tastes in Hmm. what connects, what does not. I almost Um, feel like anybody, any name, major name they would have promoted this week would have felt like such a, I don't, you know, so much lower in, 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 I guess, status than, you know, undertaker and john cena and cody that was my concern last week is like how do you come back with a dominic and Rhea the next week after Mm. you've thrown everything and then some the the week prior so i would say all things considered and they were going against the major league baseball playoffs um and they did one of their best numbers of the year so I, i would look at that as a a strong sign given what they were up against And the final thing before we wrap up is uh, this weekend, two big shows. UFC 294 is in Abu Dhabi. The top two fights have both been switched over the last week or so. Islam Makachev was supposed to defend the lightweight title in a rematch with Charles Oliveira. And 11 days out from the fight, Charles Oliveira had to pull out 
after sustaining a brutal cut in his last sparring session. So the UFC is able to get the featherweight champion on 11 days notice. So this will be a rematch from February where they had an excellent fight that was very close. Uh, Makachev won by unanimous decision back in February. So they will have a rematch. Now, Volkan, this will be a five-round fight, so one would suggest that uh, Volkanovsky, uh, the later this fight goes, you would think he is not going to be in peak shape for this fight. He's also coming off uh, a hand surgery that, that he had since his, his last fight in the summer, but at the same time, it's someone that's coming in with, you know, 11 days notice, you're probably just going to have someone that is, you know, he's had five rounds with this guy. It's an interesting fight. You would wish that Volkanovski had a full camp because this was one of the more anticipated rematches people wanted to see. And they're not seeing it under the best of circumstances, but they're getting it nonetheless. And it does show you like the, the power the UFC has when they really need an, a, a replacement that they can grab one of their champions on just several days notice to headline a card in Abu Dhabi. And then the other big fight on the card was supposed to be Hamzat Chemaev against Paulo Costa. Costa revealed like a week and a half ago. Yeah, I had elbow surgery a few weeks ago. And it turns out he has staph infection and has undergone like three surgeries, I believe by this point. And today he posted some photos of his elbow and dude, it looks like someone took an ice cream scooper out of his elbow. Like it just mm. brutal. And this guy was going to fight on Saturday. Mm -hmm. They were like, no, you're not. So what did they do? They got former welterweight champion Kamaru Usman to come up to middleweight and is going to fight Hamzat Chemaev in the biggest fight of Chemaev's career. He's unbeaten, but still a big favorite here. And with Usman, like here was an uh, excellent uh, welterweight fighter. At one point, one of the best fighters in the world that had the pair of losses to Leon Edwards. And Dana White has stated the winner of this will get the next uh, middleweight title fight. So that's that's an interesting uh, addition to this one as well. But it's a, it's a big test for Chemayev and for Kamaru Usman fighting at a higher weight class. So not bad when two of your, well, your top two fights fall apart and you get two pretty suitable replacements that audiences seem to be pretty happy with. And then Bound for Glory is on Saturday night as well. So what we're going to be doing. So UFC is on uh, at Saturday 2 afternoon. Yeah, it's yeah. a 2 p.m. main card start. So it won't interfere with any of the stuff in the evening. Uh, so what we're going to be doing, Phil Chertok and Eric Marcotte are going to do a UFC 294 show on Sunday. Um, that will be out for everybody. Saturday night, Wei Ting is going to be joining Kate from Montreal to review Collision. And, and most likely battle of the belts yeah i i say this um kind of like you know gritting my te teeth but it, it's very likely we will yes and then myself and john cena will also be up on saturday night but that show will be for cafe members only covering bound for glory collision course will be free this saturday mm -hmm. night uh, because everyone needs to know the analysis for battle of the belts we want to make that no restrictions <laughs> okay. for for anyone as as waiting sits in for three hours of AEW programming, but uh, Bound for Glory, they have uh, Alex Shelley and Josh Alexander in the main event. This has been very, they've done a very good buildup for it. And they just put out a Before the Bell preview for this that I've not had a chance to see yet, but I clicked on it and I would say I'm 99% sure who produced this and so are you. <laughs> so it, it very much had. So it's going to uh, be excellent is what you're Yeah, saying. that's it. Very, right. very talented producer who I'm, I'm going to just assume I should give uh, okay. credit to. Will Ospreay taking on Speedball Mike Bailey, which, I mean... Oh, amazing. I this mean, was the match that was supposed to take place during WrestleMania weekend. That's right, yes. So, I mean, here are you know two people that are in contention for Wrestler of the Year. I 
with all due respect to everyone this year, I think Osprey has just <laughs> clinched this race for this year. But nonetheless, they're going to have a, a hell of a match. Uh, Chris Sabin. Oh, you do, I mean, you don't know what Sting's going to do for the rest of this year, John. Okay. So that, that is true. That is yeah. true. Uh, the Sting's final ride, we will get to. Chris Sabin against Kenta for the X Division title. Trinity defending the Knockouts title against Mickey James. So, in the case of Trinity and Josh Alexander, they were both the, the, the two champions that got injured back in uh, March and never lost their titles. So that's sort of the story with, with both of them. You uh, mean Mickey, Mickey James and, and Josh Alexander? Yeah. Yes. yes. Um, the Call Your Shot Gauntlet Battle Royal, where it's 20 people and the winner will get to call their shot. This is their Money in the Bank match. The Rascals against ABC for the Impact Tag Titles. MK Ultras, Masha Slamovich and Killer Kelly against Yana Perrazzo and Tasha Steeles. And a Monsters Ball match between Rhino, Steve Macklin, Moose, and PCO. Maybe mm-hmm. PCO will be, um, what has he done recently? He's been lit on fire. He's been hit by a car and they force gasoline down his throat. So God knows what he's going to do for Bound for Glory. All those things at once. John Cena and I will have you covered for that one. So look out. Oh, and the Hall of Fame induction. The Hall of Fame they're doing on the pre-show. So that will be Mike Tanay and Don West being inducted by Scott Demore and Gail Kim inducting Tracy Brooks. So th- th- those should be excellent. This will be Mike Tanay's first appearance at any kind of wrestling show in years. This is wow. a very, very rare appearance by Mike Tanay in public. Uh, so that'll, that'll be very cool to see. And this is, um, it's like right near Don West's hometown as well. So I'm sure his family will, will, will be there. I'm, I'm sure that's, that's probably going to be the highlight of the show to be mm-hmm. quite honest. So that's happening on the, on the pre-show at, at seven 30. Also, uh, coming up on Thursday, Wayne and I will be presenting rewind away. Number 141, the WrestleMania X seven review from the Reliant Astrodome in Houston, Texas. Not too far from tonight's edition of Dynamite. Very good, John. Yes, this is widely considered to be one of the best pay-per-views of all time. Certainly, in many people's eyes, the best WWE pay-per-view of all time. It is, like, where does it rank for you, John? I mean, is it at least your favorite WrestleMania? It's, for a while it was. We'll have the conversation tomorrow. It's it's mm, it's okay. it's it's in the discussion. I don't know if it's my number one, but it's uh it, it's up there. Like this was to me like like the peak of that second boom for the company. This like they had not run a WrestleMania stadium event in nine years, and here are your your two biggest stars headlining this show. Huge deal, and only magnified by the fact that one of the biggest stories of the era happened a week ago where they purchased WCW on top of it. So there was so much going on uh, in the lead up and coming out of this particular WrestleMania. So we will have a very big look at that show on Thursday, postwrestlingcafe.com, $6 gets you in the door, bonus shows every single week. And this week, including the WrestleMania X seven review, rewind to SmackDown on Friday night, impact bound for glory and MCU later with Neil Flanagan stepping in with WH park this Sunday night. Correct, yeah, and access the to the entire archive of over a thousand shows that are currently right out there right now. So just six dollars a month gets you access to everything. Access to everything is something that we preach at Post Wrestling, and we know there's a lot of pretenders out there. But we know that deep down, you go to sleep at night and you say to yourself, "Man, I'm so bored of my VPN." Well, you don't have to be bored when 
you're uh, getting ready for our dynamite review. So that's where we're going now to Rosenberg, Texas, where oh, very good. Wrestle Tix reported. Not till next Monday, but thank you very much. What a wonderful uh, segue. 4,747, according to Wrestle Tix. Very, uh, very pertinent number, VPN. Uh, that Russell takes uh, number, <laughs> as I was trying to state there. Uh, we kick things off with Penta El Zero Miedo against Jay White. Jay White, as they note, 10-0 in singles matches. I think he's going to keep that undefeated streak until November 18th. A very good possibility of that, yes. So the match begins, and uh, Penta hits a dive to the floor as Bullock... Bullet Club Gold is making their way to the ring and then attacks. Colton uh, trips up Penta and then Penta gets dropped from the buckle. And at one point, Jay White ties Penta's mask to the bottom rope and it instantly unties, which they credit with Bryce just immediately untying this thing there. They go through the break. Jay White's using a Muda lock and then they do a huge chopping exchange, including one where like Penta takes off his shirt, removes his glove, throws the glove to Abrahantis as Jay White's just waiting there, waiting for him to chop him. And he like made him wait like 45 seconds here. I mean, to... this, this does happen often in modern professional wrestling. It happens in New Japan, right? Where two people just decide, hey, like, okay, we're going to stop for a second. We're going to like stand in the middle of the ring and just like have, have this basically, you know, test of like male ego. And we're just going to pause and we're only going to do this one move. It's It's a gentleman's agreement type of thing. Well, for each chop, one of the announcers called out a city in Texas. There are a lot of them. Yeah. The Fear Factor gets stopped. White hits a Uranagi, Dragon Screws, Sleeper Suplex, and then Penta stops the Blade Runner from Made in Japan for a two count. At this point, the crowd was pretty hot for these near falls. And then the guns distract, leading to Juice Robinson, who has the TJ Maxx ring on and hits the left hand of God. Sets up the Blade Runner, and Jay White wins in 13 minutes and 14 seconds. Mm-hmm. Good this was little the AEW special uh, match that built well, crowd was into, got into the near falls, and then your uh, your kind of BS finish. I mean, with the heels, I think you you especially expected you know with a faction like the Bullet Club, uh, Bullet Club Gold. Uh, I think the content you got before it was was very good. This was a, to my knowledge, a first time match between these two, and I thought it was as fun as any Penta match has has been uh, in a long time. And I thought the finish you you needed to put a bit of emphasis on Juice Robinson, you know, and his left hand of uh, TJ Maxx. So I I'd argue they're building this Juice Robinson match up more than Jay White at this point. Well, certainly the past week um, got a lot more conversation about Juice Robinson and, and MJF than the Jay White match. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get into that. And the it, it was clear on Collision, but that much more on this show mm-hmm. that the ring has replaced the quarters. And it seems yeah. like they have made that pivot. White gets on the microphone saying that MJF sucks. He's not here tonight. And I'm the real world champion. And no one wants to team with MJF to take on Bullet Club Gold. And Juice says he's going to win the Dynamite Dozen Battle Royal and knock out MJF with his ring because then he's going to take the Dynamite Dozen ring and pawn it and get another gold tooth and shows off his TJ Maxx ring, uh, which did lead to a TJ Maxx chant from the audience. Lovely. Yeah. Certainly, like coming off of this, uh, these past two episodes of AEW TV, you really do get the sense that they've completely dropped any sort of um, 
deliberate mention of the quarters. Now, I think MJF's character is still playing um, his sort of reaction to, to Juice Robinson. He's still calling them bullies and that I've been bullied all my life and equating Bullet Club Gold to that. But it's And he's reacting to any mention of Juice Robinson with the level of anger that you would expect of somebody who suffered that level of insult. But they're not bringing it up again like Juice is not you know, uh, mentioning nor like using or, or showing off the quarters at all. Uh, and I definitely think it's the right move. Um, I instead like somehow um, they stumbled onto this TJ Maxx thing, which thankfully the crowd has taken to it. Uh, I believe even on Saturday they were chanting TJ Maxx. So rather than turning this into something very uncomfortable for a lot of people, it's now become a fun thing again. And and for Juice Robinson's sake, I'm very happy that, you know, they, the, the decision was not to hide him even on Saturday. They put him front and center in front of the crowd and they just basically carried on um, by giving us, you know, a fun version of what this, you know, Bullet Club Gold um, is so attractive. So we go to the back and Renee is there with MJF and he explains, I could have run out there like every other dumb good guy and get beaten up. But I'm not a good guy, and I'm not wasting my entrance pop in Texas for later tonight on those guys because he's going to be on commentary for the Battle Royal, and he knows the in the, in the star system, you make one entrance. You don't make multiples. Mm-hmm. So he was at the New York Comic Con over the weekend, saw kids cosplaying as champions, just like Jay White is. And, it's, and if he faces Juice, it will be the left hand of God against the right hand of the devil. But the blood of Juice Robinson will be on the hands of Jay White. Very good promo from MJF. And he has asked about Adam Cole, but before he can give an update, the acclaimed enter and Max Caster suggest that they team up for an eight-man tag and we can scissor after. MJF turns it down. And then Max suggests, what if I win the battle royal? And then I can beat you. And then you'll have to put a ring on it as he puts his hand out. And MJF just walks off. He doesn't want to deal with Max Caster. Billy Gunn calls MJF a scumbag, but Caster says he's my scumbag. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I. I don't. I mean. I. I know it's he's. He's meant to like feel kind of like weird and kind of creepy. I suppose. Um. Uh. I don't. I don't really quite know what to think of uh, the the Caster MJF relationship yet. Are you clamoring point. to see MJF finally accept Max Caster because that's what they want you to feel? And I can't say that they are. Um leading me in that direction with these i just feel these are falling flat at this point well certainly yeah not in the way that i i've been you know you're clamoring for mjf and 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 adam cole to get together right um now like you you give them sort of like you know a a bit of um understanding that this was never the plan like this was just sort of like a uh you know last minute type of thing with adam cole's injury um but you're i don't think it's been very well told right now this little tease maybe mjf should have tried to get if it wasn't the plan, try and get Alexander Volkanovsky on short notice. Yes. Has to do Adam Cole. I don't, I, I don't know if they have Alex access. Volk, baby. I don't know if they have any uh, access to, to that um, parent company's uh, talent at this point. Probably uh, a brick wall. Yeah. There's a short feature on Hikaru Shida and starting at the Ice Ribbon Dojo under instructor Emi Sakura and that in their 10 singles matches, Sakura has won eight of them pretty good record so trying to trying to make you as really invested to, can can Sheeta win a third time against uh, sakura but I, I like the fact that they added this so this didn't feel like a cold match where I, I don't think even in the eliminator setting uh in an eliminator bout that i think anyone was 
expecting Sheeta to lose this one. Agreed. I mean, this was a late announcement this afternoon, um, Sheeta versus uh, Sakura. And I, I don't know when they might have, like, you know, produced this video, but I'm glad that it got any sort of build because, I mean, obviously there's so much history and story to be able to tell that they they did their best, I guess, in these 45 seconds. I mean, it might have just been from their greatest hits of, like, one of their past singles matches and just did a new voiceover. Could be. Could be. Sakura jumps her and grabs the belt, but then Sakura sidesteps a missile drop kick. And there's during the picture in picture, uses does this delayed double underhook into a backbreaker on Sheeta. So Sheeta's controlling and runs down the ramp and is caught with a Rana. Which if any if any time an attacker is running at you on the street, that's your go-to. Okay. Don't don't try and grab the mace or knee them in the balls. Rana every time. They'll mm. never see it coming. And then there's a missile dropkick by Sheeta uh, for a two count. The crowd is chanting, holy Sheeta. Sakura gets a tiger driver, misses a moonsault from the top. And then Sheeta goes for the katana, which I guess Sakura tried to get her hand up. And the announcers weren't quite sure. They they treated it like she nailed her. But when she kicked out at one, that's when they explained. It looked like she partially blocked it. But then after a falcon arrow, uh, Sheeta hits a flush katana that had this great angle. Uh, where it looked like she just drilled her with the knee and wins in eight minutes and 52 seconds. I like the match. Uh, I thought Amy Sakura really brought it in in this match in, in particular. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think Sakura in all of her, I guess, you know, major appearances at this point, either on Collision or even Rampage uh, and Dynamite, she's she's looked really excellent. So, again, um, probably not the type to ever really receive a prominent push and certainly not a title run just given her status um and and her booking so far i don't think tony khan sees like that level of like you know star power in her when there's so many other people waiting but man every time she's out there she she's been great like great intensity in the ring and i think so much charisma too and especially here with um you know probably the person she knows best on this roster and hikaru shida uh, delivered a fantastic performance i thought it was a really excellent match and crowd crowd was very reactive and they're really into hikaru shida so um you know, it's 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 good to see that we can get these sort of like high quality women's matches uh, as part of like a t- title defense at this point again. And it looks like really Sheeta right now is is getting like an actual push and hopefully she can break through to the next level on this run. I should have mentioned it off the top as well. Like this was a very interesting market that they ran. This is about 35 mm. miles out of Houston. They've never there's a relatively new building and. As of last week, they had put out around 24, 2,500 tickets. And as I said, the number, they were at over 4,700 as of this evening. And I, I can't say you can put all of that onto Mystico. I think some of that was the promotion they did for the show. But I, I think you have to give some credit to Mystico being added to this. And mm. this also was a show, like in some of these smaller towns in Texas, you get red hot crowds. This one, it was... Like you could see there was definitely times the crowd was really into it, but they were in a gigantic venue. This thing holds like 10,000 people. And I think it is even in new markets. Like I do feel like there is that argument of, do we run the big venue that we have access to, or do we go for the more intimate venue that's going to produce the best uh, atmosphere at a time when we're not selling 10,000 tickets at Rosenberg, Texas, or even anything near that. Right. Right. Um, I I don't know what to tell you when it comes to like you know their idea for for booking. Is it just that they have like such high hopes that they could get eventually, or like you know for for the uh, ten thousand for these shows? Um, 
I, I don't know what the uh, what the arena situation is like in Rosenberg, Texas. So this this might have been their only option. But it it was just interesting the fact that they went to Rosenberg, Texas. This is not some um, you know regular stop. Um, this is the first time they've been in the city. Like they might is, come back. It, it, listen, forty seven hundred tickets is nothing to sneeze at mm-hmm. for for AEW, and they had a great like they moved over two thousand tickets this last week. That's a sizable movement. Renee is with Adam Copeland for the Rated R rebuttal, which I would say this never even hit TV 14. Oh, God. Absolutely not. So it's a sit-down interview. I imagine this was likely done last week, maybe. Um, you so, would hope so, so the man didn't, wouldn't have to travel. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is uh, Adam Copeland visiting Rosenberg. <laughs> so he explains that he's confused about what's happened since coming here. He came here to team with Christian, and Christian knew that was the plan. But then as it got nearer to happening and becoming real, it was Christian that started to get cold feet. And he gives their whole backstory about meeting in sixth grade when they were at the same school and Jay transferred there and wouldn't enter the school. And so Adam was the one sent out to bring him inside into the classroom, and they ended up bonding over wrestling. And then he goes into all the different times that they've been going after something similar. He mentions the legendary Toronto star column by Norm DaCosta and (laughs) offering free training to the winner of an essay contest to train with sweet daddy Siki and Ron Hutchison. And Adam entered the contest famously won, and then Jay didn't submit an essay. So a year later, it was Adam pushing Jay to start training himself. Then when Adam was the one to get signed by WWE, he was the one putting in a good word for Jay. He said he never wanted to overshadow Christian, but he has, and it's been a cancer that Christian has let fester all these years. And he took it personally when Christian said that he had a rocket strapped in because it minimizes all the work I've put in. And without me, Maybe Christian would just be working an IT job in Ontario, wondering what if. Shout out to all the great IT workers out there. <laughs> you have no reason to question your goals. And says they are each the godfather of their children. And he asks, why do we need to be doing this at this stage of our lives? And he is not here to take Christian's spotlight. He's not here to take the TNT title. But he knows that after this high that Christian is riding, he's going to come crashing down. And Renee pushes him, like, if you're not after the title, like, what are you here for? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. I just, my contract was up and, and why not? <laughs> he is adamant. I will not fight him. But eventually he knows Nick Wayne and Luchasaurus will drop Christian and I'll be there to pick him up. So this was a lot of uh, exposition on the, on the story, the history that they had to get out. And if there's one line, I think that everyone... I think they are very much going to model this after the Brett Owen feud. And these two are going to have their match, but it's going to be a long wait. And mm. if you listen to one of uh, Adam Copeland's interviews, the one he did with Jericho recently, like he specifically brought up the long buildup until Savage and Steamboat finally wrestled. And the idea that you can hold off the match for, can you do it for a year or something like that? I don't know if you, you've got a year of build for this one, but This is definitely not coming up at full gear. I wouldn't even think this is coming up at Revolution next year. But I think Mm -hmm. that this is going to be a match that they are going to try and push this off as long as possible. 
it's wonderful to see because you know anytime a story um and it seems like this is a story that's being handled with a lot of care because you have storytellers that are very very good at 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 telling story um anytime you have something that um can be uh, prolonged for an extended period of, of time and again handled with care um the matches end up being that much more, I think, uh, memorable and spectacular. Um, and it gives you, I think, a whole lot of other side stories that you can tell in, on, en route to getting to that point. So I love the fact, the fact that they're making us wait for it, basically, um, giving it a lot more time to heat this up. And I thought this interview segment was really well done. You know, Adam Copeland, again, um, a fantastic storyteller at this point. And just to be able to explain his entire history with Christian, I think perfectly kind of like showed um, – Mm, showed why they're in the situation that they're in right now. And I think Renee was really the perfect person to play off of. I don't know how often these two might have appeared on screen together in the WWE, but they clearly have just a lot of chemistry as friends. I don't even know if they're friends, but you would expect that, you know, Ontarians who love hockey, they're, they're probably friends. <laughs> they came but across like I was waiting for Arda to pop in, in, in the background during <laughs> sure. the segment. Uh, but yeah, I like the storytelling here. I'm definitely in for the ride. If this was taped last week, then shout out to Renee for having the consistency with the with the same top for mm, all the all the all the live shots tonight mm. on Dynamite. So that was the rated R rebuttal. I don't think every interview needs a name attached to it. This could have been just Adam Copeland. She could have thrown a, a a you know a shit or like a you know f word in there. <laughs> We're, we're the godfathers of our children. And if there's one word to describe, fuck Renee. <laughs> this is frustrating. Could have said Norman fucking DaCosta, as we should all be saying. As, Norman as the way he should be saying. Yeah. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast... Their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister and putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc wardlow and ryan nemeth not much to this one wardlow came in murdered ryan nemeth and then uh Stoppage win. No, no, no. Was it, was it Ryan Nemeth? I didn't even notice. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. This was the Hollywood Hunk. Okay, yeah. okay. I, th- I got mistaken seconds. by the other jobber match. Yeah. 
so stoppage win that they seem to be building a board low with the stoppages. And then Shivani gets into the ring and says, what are you, what are you doing back here? It's like, I, I work here. <laughs> what do you think? And he shows his wrist tape and it reads MJF on it and knocks over Tony as he leaves the ring and doesn't say a word. So we have many programs for MJF They're, They are building up a lot of challenges for him, which take us to our next segment where Renee is with Kenny Omega who mentions what a tough year he's had, citing his win-loss record, calling it putrid, and that Kyle Fletcher reminded him he is the measuring stick. And Fletcher will be the first this week. Then he's coming for the Don Callis family, and then maybe you'll get the Kenny Omega of old going for the AEW title. And as soon as he mentions this, MJF walks in, reminding him, I'm the champion, and admires Kenny Omega and offers his hand. And as he shakes his hand, he leans in and whispers, 13 days, bitch. And trying to figure out what what the hell's 13 days. That is when he will surpass Kenny Omega's length as the longest reigning AEW champion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Jeff getting his like, you know, what feels like his next half year of programs lined up right at this point. Uh, and, you know, I guess with Cole not being around for quite a while, he's going to need a lot of these extra opponents um, just to kind of hold them over, I would say, you know. Um, and they're, they're both directions that I'm very excited for. I mean, Wardlow... I haven't really felt one way or or another about like these sort of like return squash matches, but the idea that he's going directly for MJF, it's going to propel Wardlow into an interesting storyline. And it's by far the best dance partner certainly he's ever had. And this time the roles are reversed. You know, MJF is the babyface, Wardlow presumably the heel. The Omega match is very interesting too. These two have never met before, right? In a singles match, I don't think so. Yeah, it's hard for me to think of it. And, and it's almost surprising, you know, given how long both of them have been prominent pe- people within the same company. But um, this is going to be a double babyface match, you would think. And mm, how are they going to play this? When will this match take place? I it, There's no way they're going to do it before the 13 days, right? I mean, you'd have to do it on Collision next Saturday. That's the only time you could do it. It feels way too big of a match to put on Collision. I would argue this is a much bigger match than him and Jay White in yes. six weeks mm-hmm. or a month. I should say we're actually exactly a month away from uh, full gear. Um, that's what I felt. I was like, this, this feels like a much bigger match for the pay-per-view than Jay White. And it's like, I have nothing against Jay White. Uh, but I mean, you, you dangle this. I mean, there's people that would probably be just as much into the Wardlow thing, given the history of, of those two as well. There's certainly way more backstory there um, mm-hmm. as they're, you know, putting this together on on the other side to kind of defeat my own argument. I always like it when you have all these different people, they're all shooting for the title. It doesn't mean we're going directly to Wardlow in a week or two, but it's, that can be people's overarching story is that we don't know when we're going to get there, but everyone is shooting for this title. Everyone wants to have this belt and it makes it feel important. And these are all options that we can go to and we don't have to go to it cold either. You know, the, this is what motivates these people. Exactly. And even if Kenny doesn't face MJF in the immediate future, well, um, all the obstacles that he faces en route to MJF are storylines themselves that, they, you know, they can branch off of. So is there any way MJF faces Kenny Omega on the Friday night collision against SmackDown? Oh, wow. Didn't even think of that. Man, that's a big one to burn. It's not a good I idea. I would say. Yeah, I think that would be a waste of this match. But I mean... 
There's, God, there's no, I could see Tony. I'm very like, curious about that fry. Cause, dude, there's no beating SmackDown on Fox. Like, no. that is not in the cards for them. Um, but maybe the goal isn't to beat them. It's just to get oh, it's a good amount to be of competitive. But, I yeah. mean, it's just you're on a different night. It's collision. Like, here is a collision in this regular slot. I mean, it's cable versus network. It's yeah. so, okay. So, so, so let's, say, let's say Tony books MJF versus Kenny for that collision. What does WWE come back with for SmackDown? Um, is the is the actor strike going to be resolved by then? Um, maybe they'll somehow interrupt those negotiations and keep the strike going, so they can have Batista come back, um, The Rock and John Cena all on the same show. Vince McMahon responds to Ari Emanuel on Fox. <laughs> sure. Roderick Strong's house. Mike Bennett is playing bongos to his new song neck strong to the beat of traps headstrong classic i didn't think i could detest these segments more and yet they still they find this well <laughs> of just <laughs> nauseating humor that is all, all done on the same shoot by the way the, john so it the, was this poor team that had to shoot all of these um cole brings over so cole has just been living here for weeks is how we're to absorb this he brings Roderick coffee and in what the vain part of John Pollock can only take as an absolute direct shot at my criticism. Strong spits this out saying, I hate hot coffee. Mm, yes. Gross. Cole says he's leaving. He's done with this. But then Strong apologizes and reminds him that when Cole was young in Ring of Honor, he made the best peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And Cole remembers this. And so we go into a musical montage of him slowly and seductively making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that build up to Roderick Strong putting this food into his mouth, close up of him chewing this, gross as hell, and spits it out because Roderick hates crust. And Cole is so upset that after all this bullshit, it's this that breaks the camel's neck. Yes. See that? Huh, and he finally leaves. And Strong acknowledges, now I'm going to have to be nice to that scumbag. Listen, I'm I'm in the minority. I know a lot of people like these. I don't know I, if you are for, for these ones. I don't get these at all. But I... I don't know. I, I think these are awful. I just I, think they're they're so awful. So I mean, you you basically the whole time I was watching this, I just kept thinking about how much John was going to hate all of. This. I wish I was doing the show with Andrew tonight. No, no, no. I'm just saying, like this. The thing is, there's no way they could have changed at any point after the reaction to the first week because they filmed these three, you know, in the same span. I we would assume. Everything certainly looks the same, you know, in, inside these uh, 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 um, scenes at, at this point. So um, it it probably was pretty a little too light on ideas before they went ahead and, and decided to shoot these to um, keep the storyline alive for three entire weeks. And at this point, I definitely think they've even overstayed their welcome by maybe a week or two, a bit too long. But I also maybe, again, cut them a lot of slack because this was them booking under the pressure of Adam Cole just, you know, uh, breaking his ankle. And 
not having any story for the next three weeks. This, at the very least, did kind of keep it alive for three weeks. Didn't need to be three weeks, though. I mean, I I don't know what else was sort of in play that made them decide to drag it out for this long. Shivani brings out the Callis family, and Don Callis says, Jericho has never been manhandled like he was last week. And Hobbs explains why he has such a hatred for Chris Jericho. Because on February 22nd, 1998... At Super Brawl, there was Powerhouse Hobbs front row with his grandmother to meet Chris Jericho. And Jericho, who's a heel by this point, this was the night he unmasked Hoovy, mm-hmm. came down to the ring. This is, this is my rated R description of this segment. And he told seven-year-old Powerhouse Hobbs, sit down. And at that moment, Hobbs declared death upon chris jericho did he tell hobbs to sit down at seven years old or did he tell it to his grandmother well either one is not very nice you know and more than enough to justify this reaction from this grown-ass man several sit down (laughs) and uh seven-year-old hobbs was not putting up for this and as he's cutting this promo they're replaying the spine busters on the screen of him mauling chris jericho last week what do you think about the hobbs portion of this because this was the I, longest promo I think they've given him. I thought it was so fantastic. I mean, this was him explaining his supervillain origin story. You know, something as, I guess, so forgettable as like a heel shouting at somebody in the front row. I have no doubt this was all real. Okay, for one thing, it was, it happened at the Cow Palace, which is where, you know... Um, uh, uh, How many uh, people were pulling up the WWE Network after this promo? <laughs> I try, if, I, if I wasn't uh, so busy, I would have done it myself. But um, this was a show that took place in in the place where he grew up. So I, I don't doubt that there's uh, truth to it, maybe complete truth to it. I wonder if there's a screenshot of him, you know, a little child sitting. If he was in the front row and Jericho was on his way to the ring, it'd be hard to miss this. By morning, I'm, I'm sure somebody out there would have found it if it was there. But, I mean, the guy cut a promo full of passion as if this is a trauma that he's experienced for, you know, uh, I don't know how old Hobbs is right now, but like, oh, what, 30, 25 years? And, um... Well, Come he, was, on. he was seven in 1998. So do the math. That was uh, 25 years ago. So 25 years. Yeah. I mean, imagine holding on to that grudge for 25 years. And now, like, uh, he could have taken a step further. After that, he went to the gym and he got this big all because of that one moment. And now he could finally exact his revenge. He went to the gym the next day. God, <laughs> imagine how many fans are living with this rage. Like ones that got their oh, signs yeah. like ripped up or... No. Oh man, what's that? That girl Izzy, you know, like she's got a program made for with Sasha Banks. Well, she's training now. She's she's wrestling. Yeah, she's she's on you know she's on the hunt for Sasha. Uh, Chad Gable's daughter? Are you kidding me? Gable Junior versus um uh Gunther. Sign me up. Well, Callis says Hobbs has a new family, where we're not going to tell him to bottle up his anger. We want him to be who he's meant to be. A- 270 pound killing machine and we're not done with jericho he's unleashing hobbs on aew they are undefeated in four months except for one match a tag match where they needed a scab wrestler in kyle fletcher to replace sammy guevara and screwed his family two weeks ago losing to jericho and omega so kyle fletcher comes out he gets into the ring and he was given a big promo segment here and said i will prove to everyone that I don't need anyone's help to beat Kenny Omega. And maybe I was the weak link in that match, 
but I'm not the weak link. Oh, Do you understand what I'm saying to you, Don Callis? Wow, that's quite the pickup from you. Um, I didn't really that's notice actually that... a clip from the show that I just played. <laughs> I didn't really notice that myself, John. But I mean, now that you pointed it out, I mean, I won't be able to unhear it at this, at this point. I mean, I'll say I, I thought he sounded good. OK, I am also remembering this man's age, the fact that he's relatively new to american professional broadcast wrestling um that relies a whole lot more on promos than you know new japan um i thought he sounded good but i mean you just kind of maybe you know killed killed that (laughs) killed that feeling listen i'm i'm (laughs) god bless the guy okay that's what uh that's the uh isn't that what jericho said about tony khan tweet god bless him we all have our we all have our praise for kyle fletcher is coming up next for all the people that are angrily tweeting me right now he's listening to this right now he's his feelings are hurt and he will never speak like that again just just like the way it sounded like a guy who was cutting his first major promo inside of an arena on national television uh yes he has done promos in the past this was like a big moment for him and and it sounded like it so that's I thought that. he sounded good, but okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you no, this, this you have the right attitude. You're, you're pushing him to be even better. Well, this match with Kenny Omega, I thought was excellent uh, to be devil's advocate to myself. Um, they had a chop battle on the floor. Omega tr- uh, got tripped by uh, by Kyle in uh, into the barricade, and then Fletcher escaped. You can't escape. And from there, Omega hit the golden triangle to the floor, which the camera missed. But thankfully, they showed the replay. So you got the significance of what he what he hit here. There's a missile drop kick by Kenny to the lower back of Kyle Fletcher. That looked fun. Fletcher is back with a brain buster. And then Lawn darts Kenny into the middle turnbuckle and hits him with a Michinoku driver. Kenny's back with a poison Rana V trigger and then sits on top as Fletcher kicks out and Callis is on commentary. And all of a sudden he's telling Kyle Fletcher, man, this guy might have something special and had mentioned at the end that if Kyle Fletcher can beat Kenny Omega, maybe I'll have an opportunity for you next week. So he's back on the, he's back in favor of the scab wrestler. So, the V-Trigger one-winged angel is countered with a dragon sleeper that the announcers note, we just saw the lawn dart, and now he's going for the neck of Kenny. But Kenny spins on top, snap dragon, flying V-Trigger, and hits the one-winged angel to win the match. And Callus, this kid is such a miserable <laughs> disappointment. He should quit the business. Get a nine-to-five job. Just totally throws him under the bus. Uh, this match is great. I, I thought it was the best match on the show. And I, I thought Kyle Fletcher, for his uh, his promo shortcomings, uh, made up for it in, in this match. This was really good. Really, really great match. You know, these Kenny singles matches continue to feel like they're they're special. At a time when we 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 really see everything on free TV these days, I mean, a big Kenny's Kenny match, especially against somebody that you know is incredibly capable, like Kyle Fletcher, it feels like a bit of an event. And definitely tonight was a must see match. Um, I thought it held up that very high standard and gave Kyle Fletcher the, I think, the best single showcase of his AEW run thus far, uh, better than the the Danielson match. Um, showed great technical ability, so much confidence in, in ring. Um, I thought he showed confidence on the mic too, but you know, uh, my 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 colleague here uh, might might slightly disagree. Um, but he is also a very young person, and the fact that he's already this good, and I mean, just he, I think in this run they've really done the best they could, you know, given the unfortunate injury to, to Mark Davis, because um, Fletcher has really escalated himself like totally into that realm of like future main players that you would consider, you know, like a. 
Daniel Garcia to be a part of, or, um, I, you know, I don't know, Wheeler Yuta, like in the mix with, with sort of those guys. He's right in the middle of this. It's not like he was just the one-off opponent here. Like you had Kenny Omega sort of give him this look like he was very impressed with him. And it would make sense that he's sort of part of this program now aligned with Omega and Jericho since they're continuing this Don Callis stuff. So I, I would say he's probably injected into this whole program. Do you think it's as a baby face? Kyle Fletcher? Mm-hmm. With the way Callis has been basically kind of like, you know, talking about him. Right. I, I yeah, I, I, see, I see what you mean. Um, I would at least keep them with like Omega and Jericho. Like they, they do kind of need the numbers uh, at, at this point. Um, mm-hmm. But for long term, like maybe you do link them up with uh, with the Don Callis family. They're just mm-hmm. introducing so many people into that group that it yeah. just seems like throwing another one in there. You don't want them to get lost in the shuffle either. But we shall see. There's a really good performance by him. Dan House and Vignette, and then the return of Lance Archer to murder Barrett Brown. Uh, elbows in the corner, step up knee in the blackout in 61 seconds. Yeah, I don't really know what the purpose of this was. We had no sort of indication of any sort of storyline afterwards. That's what well, they say. He's right beyond that. Like, I guess, what was it just a short drive from him to Rosenberg? And then it's weird. Like, this guy's, on. it's not like this guy's hurt. He's doing independent matches, but. And he's and he's so good. Like he's he to me is still one of like their best big men on this roster. Like he he has great charisma, great intensity, and just for whatever reason has like never really had a real storyline in eight. Not getting any younger either. Yeah, so I don't know. On Friday, we're gonna get the premiere, the music video premiere of Swerve's th- uh, theme. And we head to Graffiti Park in Houston, where Swerve is with Prince Nana. And Nana is talking about the, the debut of their music video that's coming up. And Swerve says he's should be excited, but he's not because he should be TNT champion. And now it's personal with Hangman Page. And he warns Page, it isn't always you who pays for your actions. So what's he going to do? Kidnap like the man's child? What? I was going to go with his horse, but you're oh, kidnap the horse. Yeah. A okay. way more violent story. Kidnapping a horse feels a, a, um, even more difficult than, than that. But um, I don't know. Um, I, I thought this was a very good promo from Swerve. You know, he's able to switch from maybe talking about his rap video to suddenly like being this threatening potential like child kidnapper, you know, just like that. And uh he let us know about his, you know, um, intent. You know, this before was all about his status in the company. Now it's personal. So oh, God only knows what he's going to do to poor Hangman Page. Shivani is in the ring and welcomes the man he introduced on this network in 1987, Sting. Sting walks out and he reflects on his career, traveling up and down the roads with Lex Luger, the Steiners, Buff Bagwell. And then mentions people ahead of me, like Dusty Rhodes, the most charismatic person I ever met. Hulk Hogan, who is booed to the point that Sting, okay, okay, <laughs> not the greatest guy, but uh, I did learn something from him. And then thanks Rick Flair, mentioning their clash match from 88, the title win at the Great American Bash in 1990. The crowd is chanting, thank you, Sting, because they know where this is going as he's mentioning the word. I'm not going to say the word yet. But he is referring to retirement. And he knows that why wrestlers keep hanging around. It's because of the camaraderie in the locker room, the roar of the fans. And yes, my body doesn't work the same way it did 20 years ago when I was a spry 44 years old. (laughs) He's moving pretty well at 44. 
mentions jumping off balconies and then finally reveals the word. He says, I retired once in 2015, but that did not sit right with me. And at the time, I said, the only thing for sure about Sting is nothing is for sure. But I want to speak about that word right here in Texas, which leads to a chant of Rosenberg. And they weren't chanting for Peter. They were like, we want our city to get some. We're not we're not 35 miles out of the Houston area, as they (laughs) refer to it. So Sting's like, okay, Rosenberg, Texas. Man, what a weird crowd tonight. But I love it. I love it. So man nearly got thrown off here. But I mean, Sting had his mission statement. He explains he started wrestling for AEW. His first match was at Revolution 2021. And his last match will be at Revolution 2024. And states that the only thing for sure is that my retirement at Revolution is for sure. And that is... Sting's declaration of the farewell tour that will go on for the next couple of months. And it looks like revolution, usually late February, early March. So Mm -hmm. that's the timetable that we're looking at and doing the big send off, which it's like a really big story that, that they have um, to do and to have several months of just treating this guy as the big legendary figure and going to all these cities for the last time. Giving us, you know, a good half year of being able to know that this is coming and therefore making all of his subsequent appearances feel that much more special. I mean, I I, I think it's wonderful that a wrestler of his stature can even attempt to get the type of send off, you know, like like this. Um, it's again, any anytime you have something really like built up uh, through a long, long time it's going to feel that much more special and in this case that much more emotional by the time we finally get to it. So, um, Hum, I mean, do you, he hasn't had a singles match yet in AEW, right? To my recollection. No, I yeah. don't believe so. Do you think we get one at any point, including mm, possibly the actual last match? Um, should we, like, do we, do you care to see a singles match with Sting right now? I always thought that you could do him going for the title as one final story. Um, It's an option. I don't know if you need to do it. I think for, I mean, there's a reason he hasn't done singles matches Mm -hmm. either. I mean, there's like, what do you want? Like the realities here. Listen, this guy has gone above and beyond in this, but you know, he'll be turning 65 in March and I think you want him to go out and the fans feel good about it as opposed to putting him out there where, you know, you know, in a title match situation, like that's, that's a big ask of, of sting, but I don't, I don't rule it out entirely. Like that is probably for the biggest build is, is something where like you could do sting versus Darby. Like, could you, could you get away with that? Right opponent, right type of match, right? Like bells and whistles. You can really probably get, get by with anything. You know, I, I, I do imagine at some point throughout this final run, they'll want to put up on the marquee sting versus blank, you know, maybe Darby, I think makes perfect sense as, you know, a final opponent Um, and make it no DQ. You can throw the world around it. Just, you know, you're, you're, you're at, you're at the very least um, able to promote a sting singles match. And I, I do see it at some point. Can it live up to the Mudo retirement from this past year, which ended up being a hell of a retirement match that he did? True. Yeah. Um, and that was one that I think we were very, very leery about Mudo doing mm-hmm. a retirement match uh, with Naito. I, I think they'll do a, a good job. Yeah. Well, Chono really was the real retirement, John, you know. I hope they make a big deal out of this, much like the way we've seen many like ball players retire when like when Julius Irving retired in like every city 
it was treated as a bit like this is the final time you yeah, see totally. Julia Serving play or to see like Derek Jeter play. And mm. like this would be the time that I'd want to do a sting appearing. It doesn't have to be wrestling, but just appearing weekly yep. and going to these cities for the final time. And it should be a big deal. The last time he goes to the Greensboro Coliseum, the last time in Atlanta, all these different ones. And the last and time in, of- the last time in Rosenberg, we might have just seen it right now. Well, all roads should lead back here for a revolution, should it not? Maybe, yeah. Where does that happen, by the way? It's think? a good question. I, you know, I would, I want to, I would want to put it at like somewhere of of significance. Like you, like that should be the selling feature of that show. I think it'll be the main event, and I, I for sure, it should be. Like you yeah. should not be doing this as just you know fifth match on a ten match card, and mm. it's part of the package. Like exploit this for all it's worth. Like you have, you have put in the work that. Not one of us would have forecasted this kind of run for Sting in 2020 when he showed up. And they have, and listen, it's not just the promotion, it's the guy himself. Like Mm -hmm. this guy has worked super hard. Now is the time to really kind of, you know, market this because I think you've, you've put in the work with this guy where he is treated like a legend and the audience takes him as such. Totally, totally. I think it'll be the type of thing, like it'll be their version of The Undertaker's retirement. Um, if um they knew that he was actually going to retire um in six months rather than maybe maybe they, retiring they, they and needed a hook retiring. for survivor series and like uh it's the undertaker's retirement ceremony yeah uh but so yeah like i mean but sting is really that level of figure in AEW at this point and certainly in the mind uh, of somebody like a tony khan he will treat this with the most reverence i'm sure you've seen you know bring in some of the anything. legends to like yeah. just bid him farewell like mm-hmm. the ones that are still alive that you know you could have like yeah different different cities you you know it's like just it should be like the constant theme like just you know mm-hmm. different video messages like you, you could do a lot with this is, is what i'm saying so there you go that was uh probably the biggest news coming out of the show and mm-hmm. I, I never envisioned that sting's retirement announcement would then cut to rj city backstage as he tees up tony storm's latest blockbuster gone with the storm and we go to picture in picture and do they have me hooked for these picture in pictures? Oh, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I should really expect to, to know that these are picture in picture at this point, but I watch on fight, of course, and uh, I get them with the, the music. I mean, it works way better. I'm sure under picture in picture, it's a brilliant, brilliant idea for picture in picture. Yes. So she introduces her life's work and screams, play the picture. So we go to picture in picture, if you're watching on, on television, and we just cut to the scene, and it's Tony Storm and RJ City uh, going back and forth, and RJ offers her a pearl necklace, and Tony takes exception to this and slaps so, him. So this is all silent film, so you're seeing, like, captions. Um, yes. yes. And slaps him, and then RJ clarifies he meant the actual jewelry of a pearl necklace. And next week she will have her own Butler service and it ends with a close-up. Yeah. Um, so again, um, watching this like in full view, uh, <laughs> I mean, a different I, experience. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if there was much of a, I, there was a punchline. Certainly. I, I don't know if that it was that good of, uh, of one, but I, I think as, as a novelty seeing this, you know, during actual commercials, I probably would have enjoyed it a bit more. Nonetheless, I love that they continue. I love that they continue to put so much production behind realizing this Tony Storm idea and the promise of her getting a butler next week. You would have to assume it would be RJ, right? They work very well together. Yeah. Yeah. They they can uh, 
bring in somebody new. I guess it could be somebody new as well. Could be Danhausen, maybe. Danhausen. Would that work? Um, maybe. I don't know. Let's see. I mean, maybe this is where it could fit out. Maybe, maybe this is something where the the Roderick Strong team could take notes, like a, a silent film with them. <laughs> Would you have enjoyed the peanut butter scene uh, that much more without sound? I would not have hated it worse. So mm. might have been an improvement. Mm. Jim Ross, sit down interview with Nick Wayne and by her legal name, Nick Wayne's mom. And Did they just not want to use her real name or something? They or? obviously are purposely avoiding using her name. Maybe they're just in on the joke and feeling because <laughs> this got ridiculous because not only is it Nick Wayne's mom, but now Nick Wayne is just son, son, <laughs> son, son. And Jim Ross is just, um, I mean, this Jim Ross approaches these ones very serious. And this one to me was just like, it's so over the top. Um, well, you need the straight man in any uh, comedic trope. Jim Ross is just outlining this. He can't believe what Nick Wayne did to Darby. He said, you two are friends and friends are rare in this business. And his mother has asked what she thought about this. And she says, it's shocking. Darby's been like a brother to you, son. And she's disgusted by what Christian has said about herself and her and his late father, buddy. I don't know who this is. And then Nick, shut up, mom. And Nick was in his <laughs> In Darby's shadow, and he has brought back now a adolescent child figure that I've missed for the last year, and I think I've <laughs> I've now found my calling here on Dynamites. Is he the new Dominic Mysterio? <sighs> I've been in his shadow all of this time. They congratulate Darby instead of myself. Even when I got a contract, it's Darby that they thank. I've got a new father figure and a better father than Dad ever was. So Christian appears, puts a shoulder on son's shoulder and asks are you ready to come home son and nick gets up you're a terrible mother so (laughs) mother gives the safest slap in the world to nick wayne this was hardly a stephanie mcmahon slap and apologizes she has caught herself she cannot believe it i'm so sorry son nick says you're dead to me and christian says should have picked up the phone as he walks out christian was amazing in this with like two lines so good (laughs) he was the best one in this whole thing and they walk out the door and then you hear this destruction going on behind the door and it's darby allen who has jumped christian and nick wayne and somehow in all of this like knocked a tooth out of nick wayne I really hope that this was a pre-existing, you know, injury and they just took off like the, the This the seemed too implant weird or to be something planned or what? Again, I but they made that like they there's putting a close up on it and and he's got what looks kind of Cuz how like is fake you can't avoid this. I mean, if uh, I'm but wrong. I mean the blood I don't know. I I don't I I wouldn't put it past them to, you they know, didn't show this. the even like Darby hitting him that like for like if you were going to do an angle like this you would have made a big deal out of like Darby doing it it's like he just rolled out onto the stage and he had this bloody mouth so you're thinking it was legit I could certainly see it being legit it's because possible. they put possible. no emphasis on it in the back like for the big strike like you would have had Darby nail him with some object to get that across and instead we yeah. just see him here well, it was a great visual either way it, it was a great visual that they had here uh so Sting returns and he tries to go for the Scorpion Deathlock onto onto Nick, but Christian rescues him and is stopped by Luchasaurus. And or sorry, he was going to give the Scorpion Deathlock to Christian, and Luchasaurus makes the save. And Taz is just absorbing all of this. And his summary is: crazy times here. He uh, has a much better relationship with his son, I think. Um, 
I I thought the whole thing turned out well, you know, interview included. I I thought like again for somebody who um is brand You're new dead to, to me. <laughs> well, you I mean nobody could beat you you doing um you know Nick Wayne or nor Dominic, but um I will enjoy this um I, you know with through those filters in the future. But I thought Nick Wayne and his mom did relatively well. I thought they effectively told the story, and I was impressed again given how little tv professional wrestling um acting you know nick way might have done in the past how comfortable he felt in a segment like this listen for for his age like he has had a few years of wrestling experience he does not have a whole lot of speaking experience mm-hmm. I, I think he's very advanced for what what he's being placed in here i do look at this and i i don't see so many comparisons but it is hard to watch this and not see it as just uh such a close proximity of Dominic with the judgment day and trying to make this its own thing that people see as, as different. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like they're like the Christian involvement and such. I I think they're on a good pathway, but that is who Nick Wayne is going to be compared to just by the natural comparison points. because of the characters that they're playing. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, I guess when you're young, um, X con Nick, <laughs> I think, um, Dominic is is a lot more um almost like a caricature or at least like he's he's funnier. I don't know if we're supposed to feel that way about Nick Wayne. At least I don't. Like I I feel this is um like the type of well Christian is like is being pretty ridiculous and I think a lot of what he says is pretty funny. But imagine uh, Dominic and Christian together. Wouldn't that be a wonderful pair? I've got a father, Uncle Eddie. <laughs> then we had the rundown for. Three shows coming up over the next three nights. Rampage on Friday will have the big Mystico-Rocky Romero match. Very curious to see if they uh, get get a bump in viewership on Friday for for that involvement. Claudio and Yuta will be in action. Sky Blue, who had a a very good match last week with uh, Chris Statlander. She's taking on Ruby Soho. And then a three-way match with John Silver, Kip Sabian, and Brother Zay, where the winner faces Orange Cassidy for the international title at Battle of the Belts. Collision on Saturday has Starks and Big Bill against Claudio and Yuta for the tag titles, which should be very good, and Miro murdering Action Andretti, which leads into Battle of the Belts 8 with the acclaimed against Matt Menard, Angelo Parker, and Daniel Garcia for the trios belts, Chris Statlander against Willow Nightingale for the TBS title, and Orange Cassidy against the winner of the three-way. And we had a brief promo with Hook, Cassidy, and the best friends, and Orange Cassidy having unfinished business with this title, and he is out to defend it. And I took this to be the unfinished business is whenever Moxley is cleared to return, and that being the outstanding loss he wants to correct. Hmm, hmm. Uh, so, you know, not much. I mean, they announced a tag title match on Collision, but I don't I, I'm expecting a bit more star power in the form of like a Brian Danielson or no John Moxley mentioned on the show at all. So, I mean, you would expect at this point he might be cleared if he was close last week. So I don't know maybe what, what the thinking is. Maybe they're deciding to finally let the man go fishing. Um, but I'm expecting also some bigger names announced for Collision Battle of the Belts. <laughs> the card feels like it's a battle of the belts to me, meaning um. I'm not expecting title changes. Right after we did a title Tuesday, we're coming back with yeah. Battle of the Belts. Well, one actually has title changes. The other, uh, you know, 
Someone brought That's up there's been one title change in seven Battle of the Belt shows. It might have been like Sammy or something like a long time ago. And, and but just even the caliber of, of potential matchups here is is not all that attractive, unfortunately. It's just they're 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 just matches for the sake of them. So, uh, but Willow versus Statlander is is an attractive match to me. You know, I'm very much looking forward to it, and it looks like it might be Cassidy. Uh, well, we probably already have spoilers, but I won't I won't mention it right now. And then Dynamite next week. Boy, was Excalibur busy. They're in Philadelphia next week. So we will have MJF against the winner of the Dynamite Dozen Battle Royal that we have coming up. Hook and Rob Van Dam will team up. So they're using Rob in, in Philly. And the main event of the show, Tony Khan has a gift for Sting. What could it be? Um, a phone. A X. phone? Yeah, so you can tweet. <laughs> What could be such a big gift that it would facilitate a um, a segment, you know? Maybe he's going to have the real Sting perform for him. Oh, okay. Um, not Jeff Farmer. No, but, um, no. The, the real, real Sting. The police. Yeah, right. <laughs> I need, I like, this is the big, I think, uh, speculation over the, the weekend, okay? What does everybody think is Tony Khan's gift to Sting? Would it be more enticing if Martha Hart had a gift for Sting? <laughs> What, like a big hat? A giant hat. Interesting <laughs> to wear. Okay, but realistically, like, could this be like a match or something? Like, oh, gifting you a match or uh, gifting you um, like what? what, what... It could be. It could be I'm going to give you the championship shot you've never okay. opted to have. Like, oh, you're, that like, would be worthwhile. Bring up the guy's record. Like, it's uh, he's got the record that supports it. So yeah. MJF can have like 18 opponents from now until Revolution. Hmm. Okay. Finally, it's the Dynamite Dozen Battle Royal. So 12 men, the winner faces MJF for the ring next week in Philadelphia. And here's our lineup of the 12. Dustin Rhodes, Matt Seidel, Trent Beretta, Juice Robinson, Matt Hardy, Johnny TV, Jake Hager, Matt Menard, Daniel Garcia, Jeff Hardy, Commander, and Max Caster. Max Caster comes out rapping about the Astros. He's going to embarrass them like Jada Pinkett and then goes off about uh, Joel Osteen paying his taxes. So making this... uh. Texas specific with uh, somebody named Mattress Mac. Yeah, didn't get that one, but it got a good pop, so it had yeah, to have been. Shut up, pretty. Mattress Mac. I'm assuming he's like the Russell Oliver of um, Texas. I wonder how many people know who Russell Oliver is on on this. Oh, probably Edgewood, Edge and Renee Wood. <laughs> so MJF comes out. Dude, place exploded for MJF. They have never been more excited for a guy to come out to do commentary than than this individual. Johnny TV does his dance, but Daniel Garcia constantly wants to do his dance, and Matt Menard keeps stopping him, which unfortunately gave an opening for Jeff Hardy to dance. Oh, boy. This was like, dude, no? your dad found TikTok. <laughs> well, he, he, come on. This is the originator of the uh, juke, okay? The juke. The juke. What, what turned you off more, the peanut butter um, scene oh. or, or Jeff Hardy dancing here? Dude, there was... <laughs> Stuff that's it's not the like thumbs down. Ver- are you going on cage match right now and giving a zero to this show? Or um, uh, am I allowed Tony to, I to tweet about you like 48 hours or something? Yeah, uh, the, the eliminations were really secondary to some of the story th- throughout this. You have MJF on commentary, he is stating he will maim Juice Robinson and make him bleed buckets if he wins this match. So then MJF gets up, he walks down to the ring and offers, he tries to pay off Dustin Rhodes to go after Juice Robinson. So He's the he's the faux baby face that is going to act like it's like I I hate this man so much, but I don't want to face him. 
because it'll be so violent. So he is still using heel tendencies, but he is the valiant babyface that will ultimately face this guy. I mean, he is our asshole, right? So he's still keeping the gimmick. And specifically, I think he was paying him to um, for Dustin to deliver the Golden Globes. Yes, the Golden Globes. Yeah. Uh, where he kicks a man in the balls. That's that's the technical description. Of By the way, no disqualification in a match like this, right? No, no, which I I questioned why Juice had to be so um, sneaky about the ring. Like, what were they going to do if they saw him put the ring on and blast a guy in the face? Well, they did see him put the ring on, didn't they? Like, I, I feel like that, that was in full view of the ref later on. Well, MJF explains his history with Max Caster, training at the Create a Pro gym, and that they used to train intensely together, but... We were young, and now he's a weirdo. Dustin hits a Canadian destroyer, so he was making... And then does the hug spot with Trent Beretta afterwards. And then Hager runs them over. We get a series of eliminations. Garcia throws out Jeff Hardy and would also eliminate Dustin Rhodes. So some big eliminations for Daniel Garcia. The final three are Garcia, Caster, and Juice Robinson. Garcia, now free of Matt Menard, finally does his dance, and the place goes nuts. He tries to eliminate Juice, but Max comes from behind eliminating him. And MJF doesn't want to face either one. And he promises on his mother's brown eyes, I will murder Juice Robinson if I face him next week. So either his mother has blue eyes or we're going to get something worse than a rated R rebuttal from MJF next week. He's like, like we're, we're promoting a murder next Wednesday for Philadelphia. Mm. Or at least an attempted one. I mean, yeah, I'm guessing attempted, which I think would be within the bounds of uh, what's allowable in a professional wrestling this, setting. This cost Frank Mir his commentary gig in WEC. Remember when he said he was going to make Brock Lesnar? He was going to make Brock Lesnar the first octagon of uh, tragedy. He, he lost his job for that. Yeah, really? for, for threatening to murder him. They thought that was too over the line. Oh goodness. Okay. Yeah. Well, D- different different time for UFC. Yeah. So they fight on the edge of the apron. Juice lands on the map, the on the mat. The mic drop lands for Max, and then Jay White attacks MJF on commentary. They fight on the stage, and he grab MJF gets his belt back, but then runs into a low blow. And then Juice puts on the TJ Max ring, left hand of God to Max Caster, and throws him out in 14 minutes and 33 seconds, which sets up a murder for Dynamite next week in the main event. Mm-hmm. Got to move tickets. Got to tease murder. And the Bullet Club pose in the ring as MJF watches them from the stage. So, I mean, again, the backdrop to all of this, even though it's unspoken on this show, uh, MJF's character's mind is still very much based off the the very controversial promo uh, role of quarters that that we had last last week. So um, they're not mentioning it, but I, I mean threatening to murder a guy i mean he's not just doing it because he's challenging him for the ring you know he's doing it because he greatly insulted his uh his 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 identity um so in in a roundabout way might be the best to satisfy because as much detraction as that angle got there there mm. were plenty of people that felt the opposite about it as well Mm. and in this way you're not fanning the flames you're not calling it out but if you're someone that you can read into it and you can like everything was outlined last week. So it's not as though they're putting the wool over your eyes, but they're not going to emphasize it either. So it's almost as though it's like, they're, they're continuing this by not outright calling it out. If the goal of wrestling is to create a hot angle, 
this was like you know a fire you have to call in like the fire department for like it ruined your stove but you're still gonna cook your ramen you know you're still gonna use some of that residual heat to cook your ramen at, at the end of the day so they're not completely wasting it this did get a lot, a lot of attention and and mj's character is seemingly using some of that residual heat okay so we're going to see how much ramen they sell over the next week for the Leacora Center. Uh, MJF, to his credit on commentary, like he built this up like a heavy-duty grudge match for yeah. Juice Robinson that you're going to get a violent match next week. And we'll see if that translates. Like we saw la- the, over the last week, they moved a lot of tickets for Dynamite, and they, they made a big push for this match. I would say any movement for Philadelphia, with all due respect to Rob Van Dam, it will be because of this match. They really emphasize like this is going to be a bloodbath. You have to do blood in this. You have to, I think, at this point. Again, given maybe a lot of the conversation, like it's uh, not that it, it justifies um, what the promo was last week at all. But I, I feel like you know, especially from NJF, there's going to be. Um, he probably feels like there's an expectation for the audience to see him give the. Is there mm, any chance of them using the quarters in this match? I. I don't think so. I think it's just too too much of a hot button that is unnecessary. You know, again, at this point, damage has been done. If you know, then you know they can claim innocence. You know, beyond beyond this, um, and I think that would be the right move, just like the, this week was. Well, that was dynamite, and I, I would say that the Jay White Penta match and Kenny Omega and Kyle Fletcher were the two big standouts for me. Uh, the Battle Royal took like it was a pretty standard Battle mm-hmm. Royal for the first half, but I thought by the end, it, like it was building up the Juice match. I liked what they did with Daniel Garcia in the match as well to try and give him some some key eliminations and put yeah. some focus on him. Dustin had his moments in the match as well, so I thought by the end they they turned me around on battle royals that i'm pretty battle royaled out um especially in a in in aew but this one turned into like it it had its purpose it did i didn't love it for the main event and i know like um you know being in the main event on on a tv show doesn't necessarily mean you're in like the most watched segment but um i it it was the mjf segment though so yeah, but I, I I always like my like dynamites to, to go off on a, on a more satisfying high, at least in terms of star power. And other than MJF on commentary, I mean, this was like a bit of a mid card, you know, no offense, like rampage level type of battle royal. Uh, whereas even Omega versus Fletcher would have been a much more satisfying. And even if the story itself is not as big. Yeah, you know, I would argue if you weren't involving him in the angle after with the with with Nick Wayne and such. It would have been an impactful end to just go off on the line of Sting. The only thing for sure about right. about totally. Revolution is that it's for sure that it's yeah. my retirement. Like that's a totally different way to end the show. Mm-hmm. It was the most newsworthy, and I think it was like it would be catching some people off guard. That like, wow, this figure that's been in your wrestling consumption for thirty five years is coming to an end. Like that would have been a pretty impactful end to the show. But you were involving him with the with the angle, right? So that was Dynamite. Um, we will go into feedback. If you have any Super Chats, you're welcome to send them over to us. We will get to those. And we're going to start off with... With Hanzi, who sends a Super Chat to ask, with all the possible challengers lining up, do you think they are setting up the annual title eliminator tourney like they do before full gear? That's one possibility. Um, one name we didn't throw out is Samoa Joe. Like He's trying to right. work his way back to the title. So again, you are you are crafting things for... Yeah, the multiple challengers that are in in the waiting area for MJF. Yeah, yeah that's it, another tournament. Uh, uh, that's what I was looking? gonna say. Is that man, if I'm out 
if I'm battle royaled out, I'm even more tournament out uh, at this point when there are so we just had one. We we have so many, and I mean, it's not fair to compare to other companies, but I mean, man, we've got even in W in NXT right now, like we the breakout tournament. Now we have the men's breakout tournament. Then we're doing the Dusty tournament. It's like my God, it's just there's a lot of tournaments, is what I'm trying to say. Mm. They can they can be nice and helpful uh, to to get you through, but. I mean, they are crafting up like all these different challengers and, and such. So, I mean, that mm. that is one way you could go. Jordan from the Bronx, a fun show overall with great wrestling throughout. I was starting to grow tired of the next strong skits and the Wardlow squashes. But by the end of the show, there seems to be some forward movement with both Roderick Strong to help MJF. Where does Wardlow factor in? Also, MJF closing in on Kenny's reign. Will Kenny try to challenge MJF within the next two weeks? I guess that's one option, too, is that if MJF is looking for partners, you have the Kingdom and Roderick Strong that could be, like, reluctant partners. And even if the Kingdom turn on him, like, that gives him a reason to then go to the acclaimed or something like that as well. But they kind of introduced that with the Roddy line at Mm -hmm. the end there. Uh, Powerhouse Hobbs did all of that to Chris Jericho last week because he was snubbed as a kid at a random Nitro. I appreciate them trying to connect that very thin thread, but they could have just had Hobbs want to take Jericho's spot instead of it being Syndrome from The Incredibles. Okay, he wasn't just snubbed as a a kid, okay? His grandmother was involved. And this was not a random nitro. This was a pay per view. All right, big, big, big difference, difference. Big difference. Yes, you had a paying audience that, that saw him get snubbed here. So, <laughs> all right, thank um, you. Yeah, and he says I was at Full Gear uh, 2022, and Sting brawled into the crowd two rows behind me. I hope Sting didn't snub him. Sting has been one of the most fun acts in AEW. It will be difficult to see him go, but I'm happy for him to be able to leave on his own accord. Revolution 2024 should be a hot ticket. Uh, let's go to Benjamin, who says the slow mos of the kingdom O faces during the sandwich making. Also, I think the devil force on that beat on Jay White is Roddy Strong, the kingdom, and returning Kyle O'Reilly. Adam Copeland and Christian's program is great. That'll be interesting, but with uh, you know the kingdom and Roderick Strong trying to warm themselves up to MJF while potentially being the people who were framing him in the attack. Yeah, I think that that's. That story is outstanding in terms of one that you eventually have to pay off, and that's a good option to go with. Jake writes, I enjoyed this Dynamite overall, but I didn't really care about the main event. I think the issue was placement for me. It would have been fine to actually open the show with this and have the Sting and Townsman and Nick Wayne segment to end the show, but satisfied with great matches with White Pentagon and Fletcher Omega. And Tony's silent films are a guilty pleasure for me now. Uh, Regarding Phil Brooks with all the backstage issues and reputation in his AEW run, do you think it will now be difficult for Punk to have the number of votes to get into the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame because of those factors? Didn't Shawn Michaels face a similar dilemma where it took many years for him to get voted into the Hall of Fame because of his past personal behavior? You know what? I'm going to couch that question for next week because we are going to do on Pollock and Thurston next week. We're doing a whole Observer Hall of Fame show with Alan Forel and Punk will definitely be discussed. So let's, uh, instead of doing the uh, the same uh, discussion now we'll save that for next wednesday jake so that's called a episodic feedback answer mm, very cool anthony finally says so ar fox does not exist yeah no mention of Since, him uh the, the all-in stuff he was beaten and disappeared so hmm. I, I i don't know if there is uh more to it than that but yeah he has uh been off for over a month now it seemed like the reason for Nick Wayne to turn on Darby was because of how quick Darby was to forgive AR Fox after Fox after said Fox did beat after Fox beat his 
Wayne's ass with the picture of his late father and leaving him a bloody mess, only for Fox and Swerve to ask him to unlock his phone to call Darby. But seriously, where is AR Fox and when did he become an AR ghost in AEW? We have no idea. You know, it's it's hard to speculate. You, you're, you're right that um, I think it, it seemed like that was going to be the basis of an eventual Nick, Nick Wayne turn. The, the fact that, you know, um, Darby was so easy to forgive um, uh, AR Fox. Um, it's like Drew McIntyre and Jey Uso. Yeah, sure. Nick Wayne exactly. so quick to, or Darby was so quick to forgive. Yeah, I mean, you know, could there be heat on him for, um, you know, not not revealing maybe the the visa the, um statuses? I I don't know. That would just be you know speculation on my part, but um, maybe we'll find out eventually. And there could be just an unexplained reason for it too. That would that would seem mm. extreme for yeah. something that was. I mean, he's done stuff afterwards too, right? So, so anyway, thanks for the feedback. Thank you for the questions, and we are going to be back on Thursday again. Rewind away covering WrestleMania X Seven in their war against Roman numerals in two thousand and one. Mm-hmm. No one knows what X V I I is. X Seven. Yeah. yeah. We're all stuck with it now for eternity, like X7. writing X seven. Yeah. So we will uh, d- we will discuss that, and then uh, and then next year the big follow up of X eight. Hmm. Yeah. So have, should I ask? Have you? I started? have started. Okay. Yes. Okay. It's a four hours. This would have been one that would have been pushing even your yeah. amazing ability to watch things in a small window of time, as uh, this near four hour show is a. Uh, on the WWE Network, if you should want to watch it in advance. But that's it for us. Uh, rewind away on Thursday. And then Friday, we are live at 10 Eastern after the second episode of the season of Friday Night SmackDown. <laughs> that is correct. Yeah. Episode two. So yeah. we uh, look forward to chatting with you then. And that wraps up Rewind to Dynamite. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.